0: And thank you for joining me in the latest episode of our 30 for Net Zero 30 series. I'm Anna-Marie Slott, Global Sustainability Partner at Ashurst. And today we are joined by Lord Barker, Chairman of N Plus Group, a global leader in low carbon aluminium and renewables, and the former UK Minister of State for Energy and Climate. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lord Barker. Um, could you maybe give us a little more of your background and, and tell us about yourself?
1: Sure. Well, it's great to be with you, Anne-Marie, and uh, what a great series this is. Uh, so, as you said, um, my main role in politics, uh, of which I am well out now, uh, was to be the UK Climate Change Minister under David Cameron, and before that, held that brief in opposition for nearly five years as well. So I had a pretty much a five-year run-in and and, and then nearly five years doing the job, which was a fascinating time of, of highs and lows, Um, And rather unusual for British politics Um, during my 15 years in the Commons, I was really focused all the time through one lens or another on the environmental agenda and and most of all on climate issues. But I left politics in 2015 uh, to return to the private sector. Uh, And as you said, I now uh, lead the world's largest producer globally of low carbon aluminium and we also are the world's largest private sector hydropower. To put that in context, we produce around 16 gigawatts of clean electricity from our hydro installations. That's more than the UK output from, our, from the UK power, uh, nuclear power stations. And if you consider that the Hoover Dam, which people know in the States, produces 2 gigawatts, we produce 16. So that gives you some idea of the enormous scale of the clean energy resource that we draw on to make that aluminium. And uh, aluminium is a very important metal for the low carbon economy, particularly seeing strong growth from uh, electric vehicle manufacturers, sustainable uh, construction companies and also renewable packaging. So um, it, it's great to be at the, at the coal face, if I can use that metaphor, um, in business, having previously been more focused on policy
0: <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting choice of words. Um, I mean, obviously that that organization did not arise overnight, but have you been seeing any shift lately um, in, in how people are approaching sustainability kind of in the last kind of two years or so? You, your history obviously goes back a lot further.
1: Huge. Um, in the last two years, there's been a massive change, particularly in the investor community, uh, you know, when I did my first round of investor meetings in 2018, following the successful IPO in London, and we were the biggest uh, IPO of that year and the biggest foreign IPO, I think, for three years uh, back in 2018. At that point, it was it, the, our strong sustainability credentials and our low carbon mission were a nice add-on, a, a good USP. But fundamentally, people were interested in us as a commodity play and a hedge on the aluminium market. And we're very focused on the conventional metrics in our financial statements. Uh, Fast forward three years, and doesn't matter who the investor is, overwhelmingly, they're very focused on our sustainability leadership, on the way that we are really trying to drive not just for us, but for our sector a different approach to climate change and a much more ambitious agenda for transforming our business. Uh, So it's it's a very exciting time to be in the aluminium sector, but we need to go faster and further uh, at real scale.
0: Interesting point, faster and further. That's kind of the point of a lot of these conversations. So maybe you could elaborate. What, What particular things do you think need to be done here in the next kind of 2 to 3 years because i think that really is the window to to accelerate uh transformation of industries
1: uh, absolutely well in, in you know in the aluminum sector in particular we are one of the seven hard to abate heavy industries that's been identified by the united nations as absolutely critical to the transformation of the global economy onto a low carbon basis if those seven hard to abate sectors so aluminium iron steel chemicals cement etc if if these key industrial uh, behemoths don't shift then you're not going to shift the foundations of the global economy uh, you know the aluminium sector for example we are by no means the largest of these big emitters but we as a sector pump out more carbon dioxide than the than germany um, that gives you as you know, if we were a, a a nation state, we would be a member of the G seven. So, getting the emissions profile down of the aluminium sector is absolutely critical. And for this particular metal, there has been until pretty recently, or perhaps even now, a degree of complacency because it has so many other practical uses from a sustainability point of view. It's almost infinitely recyclable. So extraordinarily over 70% of all the aluminium that's been produced in the modern industrial era is still in circulation. Aluminium was driving the circular economy before anyone even thought to use that term. And as a result of its recyclability and its application in so many sustainable uses, I mentioned electric vehicles already, but it's also being used in renewable energy about 80% 80% of a solar insta- installation will actually be comprised of aluminium. It's used in the transmission of, ele- of electricity and the electrification of grids is critically important because it has all of these diverse applications. People haven't focused so much on its own uh, its own carbon content. But there's a huge range of uh Uh, uh, Profile So Chinese aluminium, typically, which accounts for about 60% of the global market, uh, has a a terrible carbon footprint. It takes about 18 tonnes of carbon to produce just one tonne uh, of the metal. Whereas uh, at the N-plus group, and this is what really attracted me to this business, because we have this huge clean energy resource rather than relying on coal-fired electricity, it takes just two and a half tons of carbon to make exactly the same metal. So 18 tons versus two and a half tons, just by changing the energy input, the electricity input. However, we've got to go further than that. So rule number, first of all, we've got to get coal off the system. Everyone's very familiar with that mantra. Um, We've got to drive up the deployment of clean electricity, but then we're still emitting carbon at the end of it. That's not the end of the game. And then it becomes a lot harder, and uh, we're now engaged in putting together a roadmap that will see us go from two point five tons of carbon to net zero. And you know, the more of the low hanging fruit you uh, pick, you know, the harder it gets. But we've got to get there.
0: That now that is that is fascinating, and I think putting it in those those numbers and, and explaining to people the impact of that. When one one question which I always have for people when they talk about their net zero goals, when you say net zero, what do you what do you mean by that?
1: Uh net zero is through to scope three emissions. So not just looking at the direct emissions at the smelter or your energy input but um into that smelter, but looking at the the whole value chain and production chain. And for us uh, that means that we're going to have to partner more effectively. And I'm sure this is this is a recurring theme of your programme. We need cross-sectoral partnerships. So for a global group like ours, which has active operations in 12 countries on five continents, getting the right partners to help us decarbonise is absolutely critical. Take transport, For example, we ship our product right the way around the world, but we don't directly control the emissions from the shipping or logistics. So it's important for us to have the right partners that share our ambition to decarbonize. And as we go through the next decade, that we have a much more stringent procurement process, not just for the inputs that go directly into our our metal production process, but also the whole value chain. And that that that's critical, and that's why I think, you know, the UN Global Compact of which we're a member promotes the SDGs, and one of those key SDGs is partnerships. And I think this year, as private sector comes together uh, ahead of COP26, we're going to see a lot more focus on partnerships that will drive progress through whole industrial supply chains.
0: So if if that was you know if you had a wish list, you know, it's the end of the year. The holiday season is here. You you you've put something on your on your list. Is is that what you would be asking for to really make change? This this kind of partnerships to be effective, or or is there? Yeah. Something else?
1: Well, on one hand, we don't want people to lose focus on their own on their own business, taking responsibility for the emissions that they can actually do something about, and raise the level of ambition, and and ensure. That their own corporate commitments aren't just an increase or aren't just more ambitious but are actually rigorously aligned with science-based targets so that when uh, national leaders make commitments on behalf of governments at glasgow in november that the businesses that make up their own economies actually are synced in to those national commitments and i think at the moment there's not enough rigor there's not enough transparency between businesses and the comp- and the national governments um, whose economies they form part of, so we need far greater transparency. But then, we also need this cross-sectoral partnership to ensure that where you do have these big global companies and glo- and companies serving global markets, that that it is all connected and people are looking beyond j- just their own immediate emissions. It's a yeah, big challenge, yeah. but I, you know, I, it, it's, it's a shift. It's a step change in th- in corporate thinking, really.
0: It is. It is, and I and I agree with you. And I think you know, we've 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 been focusing on that. This, this idea that you know now is the time for corporates to really step in and start figuring out how you deliver those government goals, um, w- which are only going to increase, I think, over time. I guess one question uh, around that that system, that system of. of Corporation and, and finance. I think you you might have some some views on sustainable finance. Maybe could you share with us um, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Well, we hear a lot now about shifting the financial system to support the low carbon transition, and I think in a way, the the banks get too much of the banks and the. Uh, financial community get too much of a bad rap and not enough focus is actually put on the companies and businesses that are actually raising the finance uh, and what they're deploying, what they're doing with it. Because it, it, it's my experience having also, not just at, at N+, but I've been um, uh, chair of, a of, at the other end of the spectrum of a, a, a group called PowerHive, who are the leading providers of uh, decentralized grids to the rural poor in Africa, to, um, village networks in, in Kenya, or as chairman of uh, EVN, the electric vehicle network in the UK, that is the the Britain's largest developer of uh, fast charging hubs for electric vehicles. I see sort of different perspectives and like my own background originally before I went into politics was in finance. And while I was in politics, one of the first things I did as Uh, climate change minister was to start in 2010 something called the capital markets climate initiative when it really was a problem to get finance to focus on low carbon projects but now over the like to go back to your first question over the last year or two we've seen like a stampeding herd you know the finance community really start to disinvest, actively disinvest in high-carbon projects and proactively seek out low-carbon low, fi- low carbon opportunities. And to my mind, the biggest challenge is not raising the finance, the biggest challenge is finding investable low-carbon projects, investable low-carbon um, uh, corporate propositions. And I think the the onus is increasingly now on the business community to actually have those really rigorous low carbon investment opportunities, not um, not on the banks to to deliver it, um, or on the, on the investment community. If anything, I think the, the the push now is coming from the finance side, and the and not all businesses are responding. Again, come back to the, the, at the pace and scale that we need in order to drive the transformation that we require.
0: Excellent points, and I, you know, I do think you know the banks are getting on the front end of it. That, that just you know, uh, in part maybe because they're the most easy to regulate.
1: <laughs> well, and also they just that the herd mentality, and I think the herd has been spooked by in, by the prospect of high carbon stranded assets. The herd has been spooked, you know, and we know that the sort of risk management you know the risk aversion now in the financial services is such that they look at regulatory risk very, very seriously. and they can see um, the combination of regulatory risk, changing consumer habits, the way in which um, supply chains and procurement um, are changing very quickly to adopt a low carbon model. That all of these things pose a long-term risk if you're if you're lending or investing for the long term in a business that doesn't have a low car, credible low-carbon transition um, uh, pr- proposition, or isn't from, you know, isn't a new economy uh, business. Um, so if you are in the old economy, it's going to be very difficult to raise finance, as opposed to if you're in the new economy. I think it's increasingly easy, provided you have an investable proposition. Yeah. still got to give a return whichever economy you're in
0: that that is definitely true I, I was wondering you know we're coming to the end of our time if you might um, share with people just on a personal level if there's anything in particular that you're you're doing or changes that you might be making you talk about both the system but also the individual um, anything you want to um, share with people listening
1: well first of all I think the onus is on politicians and business leaders to make the big changes. You know, I, well, I was very conscious when I was a minister of asking people to change their, their light bulbs if at the same time we were supporting the the rollout of coal-fired power stations in other countries through our aid programs or through our policy. So it's really important that the big levers are doing the right things. But everyone has a part to play. Um, I'm always you know, cautious about holding up oneself as a sort of paradigm of, of uh, best Best practice, but when I left politics, one of the first things I did um, was to uh, to launch a campaign with uh, Paul McCartney and Stella McCartney to promote uh, Meat Free Monday as uh, a means of driving awareness of uh, uh, the importance of taking action on climate change, Uh, and we did that in in the run up to the Copenhagen uh, Climate Summit. And that was great we we got uh, hundreds of thousands of people to online to to pledge to um, reduce the amount of red meat that they're eating and um, I didn't go as far as the McCartney's who are dedicated uh, vegans but I think raising that awareness of um, in of being able to moderate one's own personal habits and that can actually have a big effect but of course you know as the, as the uh, chairman of, uh, EV, of the EVN network. I'm very focused on the electric vehicle agenda. So currently have a hybrid, but I'm looking forward to taking delivery of my first fully electric vehicle as well. Um, and then there are sort of little little things at home in terms of heating that uh, are really important. Um, for me, it's a, it's about making a few small changes. So one can look, look, look in the eye, um, other people and say, however imperfect one's lifestyle, one is at least making a, a small a small point to to be part of the solution as well.
0: Yeah, conscious conscious decision making. I think you know between what's happening in climate change and what's happening, especially with COVID, I think that's that's such a resonating theme for people in the last year to just focus a lot more on what they mean and what they're doing and what that means to them. So um, really interesting points, and thanks for sharing. Um, okay. Well, in our in our last minutes or two, if if there's one thing that you could have happen in the next kind of two years, is there anything in particular that you would want somebody, to, you know, if you could give a shout out to somebody about uh, making a decision?
1: Well, obviously, the most important thing is the is COP twenty six, the climate conference in Glasgow this November. So I want that to happen, and I and I hope and pray that the COVID situation will improve sufficiently for it to be a really inclusive in-person conference. Because having participated in so many of those conferences myself on behalf of the UK, I know that the human interaction and the interaction there, not just between the individual negotiators, but also um, the really important contribution of NGOs and civil society is critical. And you know what has been one of the big drivers of, pushing up uh, the climate and increasing ambition, it's been the way in which young people have engaged on this agenda and really made their, through social media and different platforms, made their voice heard. And that really has, I think, driven a a shift uh, on the part of many governments and politicians in taking note and putting increased priority on climate and climate action. So uh, an in-person, successful, ambitious outcome to COP26 is really top of my Christmas list
0: fantastic uh thanks a lot lord barker appreciate your time here i think the takeaways for people you know um fantastic insights into a hard to abate sector really taking on a leadership role and looking at transforming itself um, for a resilient and sustainable future so appreciate your time and thank you for joining us today
1: my pleasure good to talk to you
0: thank you for listening to this podcast we hope you found it worthwhile To learn more about the issues we've just covered, please visit ashurst.com forward slash podcasts. This 30 for net zero 30 episode is just one small part of our continuing podcast series, ESG matters at Ashurst. Make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes by subscribing via Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, you can also listen to our other episodes and leave a rating or review. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.